That moment when your holiday visitors step through your front door can be a wonderful, chaotic moment full of hugs and smiles. If there are dogs and cats, they might join in with barking and jumping. And if the grands are not used to that, they might be scared to death. Your chaos is their trauma. There's a lot going on in that moment, so today we plan ahead to help out both your grands and your pets. I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And in this episode, we talk to the founder of an animal rescue shelter about how we can help our pets deal with holiday visitors. If they're your pets, they might lead such a quiet life that the visiting grands are a menace to their space. And if the pets are the visitors, it's a lot for them to take in. Before we start with our guest, we wanted to mention that we're going to be off for a couple weeks, and then when we get back in January, um, we're going to talk about our insights from our time with our grands over the holiday season and talk about some of the things that we learned and have a little chat. So that will be, I think, the second Friday in January. So hopefully you'll take some time to look at our back catalog of 150 plus episodes, and you can enjoy some of the stuff that we've already done. And as a reminder, if you have an opinion about how we're doing, we'd love it if you would commemorate that viewpoint by rating us or by writing a review on whatever app or platform you use to get podcasts. That helps other people discover us and know what to expect about us. And frankly, it's just plain encouraging for us. It helps to keep us motivated. Also, if you haven't clicked that button that says follow or subscribe in whatever means you use to get podcasts, Doing that helps ensure that you get our latest content automatically, and it costs you nothing. Now on to advice about pets and holiday gatherings. Ellie Lax, along with her husband Jay, are founder and co-founder of The Gentle Barn. They started on a half-acre property in the middle of the San Fernando Valley in California, and then in 2003, Ellie and Jay moved the Gentle Barn to a six-acre paradise in Santa Clarita, California. The property is complete with large horse and cow pastures, a red and white barnyard for the smaller animals, an organic vegetable garden, lots of shade trees, and a panoramic view of gorgeous mountains. Welcome to the Grand Life, Ellie. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to talk to you about grandparents and pets. But before we even get into that, could you tell us, did you have pets of your own growing up? I did. I got my very first dog when I was four years old. And I knew the first time I looked at him that we were going to be best friends. And him and I sloshed through the lakes of St. Louis and uh, ran through the woods of New Haven, Connecticut. We had the best time, him and I. Oh, that's awesome. So did your parents have pets? Did they grow up with pets? Like, this was this a family? Was it in your DNA? Um, it was definitely in my DNA. I don't know if my parents grew up with pets, but hmm. finally, when I was four years old, we got our first dog, and um, my parents and myself have been animal lovers ever since. Well, it sounds like it, given this place that you have called the Gentle Barn. Tell us a little more about the Gentle Barn before we start talking about helping grandparents who might have situations with pets. Absolutely. So the Gentle Barn is a national organization located in Santa Clarita, California, Nashville, Tennessee, and St. Louis, Missouri. We, across the three locations, have about 200 rescued animals. 
And we bring in animals that have nowhere else to go because they're too old, too sick, too lame, or too scared to be adoptable anywhere else. We bring them in, we rehabilitate them with veterinary care, acupuncture, massage therapy, ultrasound, um, chiropractic, energy healing, animal communication, nutritional supplements, and of course, lots and lots of love. Once they're happy and healthy, we give them sanctuary with us for the rest of their lives and then partner with them to heal people with the same stories of trauma and connect people to the love and magic of animals. So we're open to the public every Sunday where people can come and hug the cows, cuddle the turkeys, give the pigs tummy rubs, play with the goats and sheep, hear their stories of resilience and leave realizing that we're all the same, we just look different. And during the week we host school field trips, private tours, birthday parties and our legendary cow hug therapy sessions. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, uh, that's really very, very cool. You feel a really special connection with animals. Is that correct? Very, very deeply. I have since I was little. I feel like I understand them. I feel like we communicate. They talk to me. I talk to them. Um, and really, I just feel like the best version of myself when I'm near an animal. Oh, I have uh, friends who feel like that. I have a sister who feels like that about her dogs. I, you know, it's hard for me to relate because it's not my gift, but it is so interesting that you are gifted in that way. And then you've taken that gift and that passion and moved it towards this gentle barn that you do. And I'm sure your animals are thrilled. I mean, all of that stuff that you mentioned, I, I mean, that's better than a lot of humans have. <laughs> <laughs> they live a good life and I'm extremely lucky and grateful to be doing this work. So today we're interested specifically in talking about how to help grandparents who might have, let's say, one or two of these situations in their family. Um, they have a new pet, so this is like a puppy or a kitten or some other kind of pet, and they are introducing their grands to this pet when their grands come to visit. And you've got grandchildren who are ranging in age, maybe from, you know, very little to 10 or 11, 12 years old. How do you do that? How do you, how do you introduce them without any fear that the, the pet is going to have trouble since they're used to being in a very quiet home? Or putting the pet at risk. Right. You know, I myself have experienced that not too long ago. Um, I'm a grandmother myself hmm. to a beautiful little boy named Colton. And... They came, they don't live in the same state and they came to visit and they stayed with us. And it's just like what you described. Our four dogs are very used to a nice, quiet home, steady routine, no little ones running around. As a matter of fact, some of our dogs haven't even met children um, because, you know, we have adult children of our own and don't hang around with, with a lot of little kids in the house. And one of our dogs one of our dogs loved it and wanted to lick the kids like they were lollipops. The other two kind of just stayed tucked out of the way, but still in the same room. But one of our dogs really had a hard time. He was barking at my grandson. He was trying to boss everybody around. He was trying to get them out of the house. <laughs> he was like, get out of here. And it was really hard. So if they were visiting for just a few hours, yeah, no problem. We could put our dog Lakota in a bedroom or outside to play, no big deal. Mm -hmm. But they were staying for several days and it was a really big challenge. It was in the winter. It was freezing cold outside. I couldn't just put him out there in the rain. Um, and balancing, you know, taking care of our daughter, taking care of our grandson and taking care of our dog kids was very, very, very challenging. And 
we kind of all left frustrated in thinking like, okay, maybe next time you stay at the hotel down the street, maybe you don't have to stay with us until the kids are a little older. It's a real challenge. I think that some animals absolutely love kids and some do not. So I think as grandparents, we really need to identify who our animals are before the kids come to visit, right? Mm -hmm. And then if it's a scenario like mine, where there's a dog that's gonna not like kids or even worse, be aggressive or harmful to, to a grandkid, it might be better for them to stay at a hotel and you can meet outside the house and have lunches and dinners and hang out with each other away from the pets. You know, we had a situation like that in our home probably 15 years ago, and we didn't realize that one of our dogs had a hard time with children until he was in front of people's children that he had a hard time with. So I appreciate the merits of figuring this out in advance, but what if you can't do that? Look, I think that if you have dogs and you're not sure how they do with children, and of course, this is what I should have done, and you know the kids are coming, go out to a park. Um, maybe get together with friends that have kids. Have your dog safely on a leash and see how they react. If their heads are lower in submission and they're wagging their tails and the kid approaches and the dog shows submission by bowing down or rolling over, then you know you're good to go. If that animal kind of holds themselves erect with their head up, not wagging their tail in a very dominant posture, then that spells trouble. And I would make the arrangements accordingly. So let's take another situation where the grands have a new pet and the grandparents come to visit. When when we come in, what should, for example, my adult children do when they have a new pet and we're coming for the first time? So as an animal communicator, I firmly believe that animals understand everything that we say. The way that animal communication works is animals communicate through videos and pictures. And when we're talking, unbeknownst to most of us, we are emitting mental images. Hmm. When we talk to our pets out loud, we're actually forming pictures to them that they then understand. So I work with clients around the world on not only grandparents, but also just friends coming over. Some animals like to socialize, they like to party, and some animals are introverts and they prefer a nice quiet household with just you and them. And when we have people come over, they feel intruded upon. And so what I highly recommend is to give your pet the heads up. So what I like to do is I like to start the day before and I'll say, for example, my dog Lakota, just so you know, um, We've got people coming over tomorrow. We've got grandparents coming over tomorrow. Um, and this is what's going to happen. They're going to come in at around 11 o'clock. They're going to come through the house and sit down at the dining room table. We're going to share a meal together. Um, if you'd like to lay down next to us, um, you're invited to join us. Um, we're going to talk and have fun. They're going to be here about two hours. They're going to get up and leave. And we're going to have the house to ourselves again. The key components in this is telling them who's coming, telling them what we're going to do, telling them how long they're going to stay, and always, always end with what it looks like afterwards. Because, you know, 
the animal might be thinking, oh, great, they're going to live here for the rest of their lives. And it's very important to remind them they're going to be here for two hours, then they're going to leave and it's going to be us again. Mm-hmm. So they have that like hope that it's going to end. And, and you really believe they can understand that when you tell them that? I really do. You know, I talk to my animals all the time. I say, hey, I'll be right back. I'm just checking the mail. Or sometimes I say, I'm running to the office. I'll be back in four hours. Why don't you take a nap? I really do believe that they understand everything. Um, And you know what? I mean, we can argue whether or not they do all day long, but at the end of the day, it can't hurt but try to communicate with them and let them know what's happening. Yeah. What I do when I have people over, like the grandparents are coming over, I let them know the night before, and then I let them know again the day of. Mm-hmm. I'll say, okay, it now it's the morning, so in three hours, they're coming over, and I'll repeat the whole thing. They're coming over. We're going to sit at the dining room table. We're going to share a meal and laugh. You can lay down nice and quietly by our side. When they're done, they're going to leave, and we're going to have the house to ourselves again. And that way, you're giving the animal a heads up. You're letting them know what you want them to do and expect from them, and you're letting them know how it ends, and so hopefully they won't be as averse to the whole scenario. The other thing that's really, really important when we're talking to our animals is we have to make sure that we're telling the animal what we do want and not what we don't want. So in other words, in that scenario, I'm not gonna tell my dog, and please don't jump on the table and try to eat our food because hmm. I am, I'm basically telling him to do it. <laughs> so I'm gonna stay away from what I don't want and I'm gonna tell him what I do want, which is to lay quietly, peacefully on the ground next to me while we're having our meal. Now I'm looking at Emily at this point (laughs) and I know that we are going to engage on this topic in the conclusion, which we will record later. (laughs) Oh, give them a little heads up. (laughs) This is a conversation that she and I have had about the difference between women and men. (laughs) Not, Ah. not, not pets and people, but women and men. We'll talk about that at the uh, afterwards, but he knew exactly what I was thinking. So that's nice. Right. Um, But it does sound like when you're talking to a toddler and you need to tell a toddler and they can tell even by the, the way you say something, what you're expecting and what you're thinking, even if they don't know every, the definition of every word. So I get, I get what you're saying. And I, I like that. I, I do wonder sometimes, I know with even our toddler grandchildren, occasionally, especially introverted ones, and we have a couple of those, um, we will say, would you like to go upstairs and be in your room for a little while? And I wonder if you could even do that with an animal without them feeling like they're being left out. I don't know. Some animals might respond to that well. Do you think? I completely agree. I think when we have animals in our lives, it's really important to understand if they're extroverts or introverts and make sure that we're setting them up for success. So when we have an extrovert and we're throwing a party, invite them, let them be the center of the whole thing, right? Yeah. But when we have an introverted animal, you can invite them to sit quietly on the couch and just observe. And if they seem really uncomfortable and agitated, absolutely bringing them to another room where they feel quiet and peaceful. They can have food and water, maybe even get them a special treat. And that can be their little me time Mm -hmm. while you're partying. And then you can get back together later. I think that's really, really important. Also, I want to say something about the whole grandparent thing with pets. Uh, You were asking about introducing grandparents to your grandchildren's new animals, Mm -hmm. right? Well, just like you, I don't know about you, but I love buying gifts for my grandson. So just how you would come with gifts for your grandkids, if you really want to warm up to the hearts of their animals, bring gifts for them too. And then 
everybody gets gifts and the animals, just like your grandkids will understand you're not just a visitor, you're a grandparent and you'll be able to forge a special deep relationship with them too. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I just had a great experience being a puppy sitter for my grand puppy in uh, Indiana. I went back and spent a week with him and it was very fun and we got very, we were very bonded. What do you do if you have a grandchild who is particularly frightened, very nervous around pets? I mean, we have a couple of those who really, really don't, they've never had a pet. And so they get very nervous when they or Or they've had a bad early experience with an animal and they assume that to be the norm. So I'm all about setting everyone up for success. So if you have a grandchild that is nervous or, like you said, had a bad experience with an animal, you wouldn't necessarily bring them around your brand new puppy that is jumping and chewing and playing and just really big personality. That's not going to help his fear. Um, So maybe in that case, just do things separately. If the nervous grandchild comes over, maybe the puppy goes to doggy daycare or maybe the pup, you tire the puppy up all day long and then the puppy can go take a nap when you're entertaining your grandchild. Um, or maybe you don't bring that puppy to your grandchild's house because that's going to reinforce his fear. Mm-hmm. You have an older, more docile, more calm animal, then that's a wonderful opportunity to introduce your grandchild to the magic of animals and help them heal their trauma. And we have a lot of guests at the Gentle Barn that come with children that are scared of animals. And it's a wonderful opportunity to help them overcome that fear. The first ingredient, I think, is to not force the issue. When you have someone that's nervous or scared or traumatized and you try to force them like, no, no, it's fine. Pet the horse. Pet the dog. It's fine. The more you force them, the more they resist. Mm -hmm. And it's never going to end with them going along with your suggestion. They're just going to fight harder. You know, if they want to sit in the house looking out the window at your animal for the first few times just to get used to their movements and what they do, or if they want to sit in the room with the animal across the room, maybe you're holding them on a leash on the other side of the room so they can get used to their mannerisms for a while, I would say go at their pace. Go as slow as they need to. And once they start observing that very calm, very peaceful animal, not doing anything, they're watching you pet them. They're watching you walk them. They're watching that that animal is not doing anything wrong. Eventually, through watching them and being around them, they're going to start getting more curious and more curious. And they're going to initiate, okay, I think I'm ready to sit closer or I think I'm ready to pet. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you give them a treat to feed that animal. Mm-hmm. And then slowly, slowly, they start opening up, they start being more engaged, but you have to follow their pace. You can't force it or it'll never work. I wanted to ask you when you have two sets of pets from two families and you're bringing them together, for example, Thanksgiving or Christmas, a holiday, a birthday, you don't necessarily know if they're all going to get along. That is a fantastic question. So if you're able to, getting together before the holiday meal and seeing how they're getting along would be a great idea. Um, So if you live in the same part of town and you're able to visit frequently and 
create a family bond with all of those animals before you get together with this big, um, big dinner, um, that would be much preferred because yeah, then you can iron out all the kinks and make sure everybody's fine. If you live in separate States and, uh, you, you can't do that before, um, I would definitely have them meet outside the house, kind of on neutral territory, not near a table full of food, <laughs> which is more reason to fight, right? Um, and maybe go for a walk, you know, around the neighborhood or around the property with the animals and let them have a shared experience where they get to know each other and they're sniffing the same smells and peeing on the same things. And they can become buddies and friends and you can see how it goes on that walk before you bring them into the house. And then no matter how well they do on that walk, I would be really kind of observant, especially when you're around the table when there's food, because even the best of friends will fight over food. So maybe at the meal portion, you have them on leash and they're sitting down nice and calm next to you while you're eating a meal, but then they can play afterwards. Now, I have another question, which seems a little odd probably, but I wonder how grandparents should uh, juggle the attention they pay to their pets and attention they give to their grands. For for example, if the if the grands want to go out to a place that doesn't allow pets and the grandparents keep their pets with them all the time and feel like they can't go out without their pet, and so they choose the pet over the grand or they, you know, they do something like that. How do you feel about that? I mean, that 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 seems to set up a uh, a lose-lose in some ways. A win win for the grandparents if they want to keep their pet with them, but a lose for the grandchild if they wanted to go for have ice cream and there's no way they can do it because the grandparents have the dog with them. I would say it's all a balancing act. So obviously, if it could be a win-win and you're going for ice cream and they have an outside seating area, mm-hmm. everybody wins right. because you can bring down the grandchild. Um, if it's literally somewhere where you absolutely cannot bring your dog and there's no way around it, maybe one time, um, you get a special treat or a special activity for your dog and you go and focus on your grandchild, but then maybe the next time, then you go somewhere where the dog can come. So it's just about balance and, um, taking turns and making sure that, Maybe in that moment, it's not a win-win, but overall, one time you have ice cream or go to a museum with your grandchild, and then the next time you go to the dog park, overall, it can win as long as it's balanced and you're taking turns. That sounds reasonable. I I think that um, in in my experience, I had a set of grandparents who really, really would never leave their dog. And so it was not balanced. And in that sense, I felt like it, it was sad, sad for the grandkids you know, because they did not take precedence at some point. They were always left behind. And I was like, well, there should be. I agree. I think there should be a balance. And and also every grandchild or every dog or animal for that matter deserves to know that they're really special. And they don't have to be honored and special every single time, but just to know that there are times where the focus gets to be on them. For example, I have a service dog. And I literally go everywhere with him. I travel with him. He goes everywhere with me. Mm-hmm. My son was graduating uh, college and he's always had animals in his life because I've always had animals in, in my life. And there are times when he was younger and he felt jealous of the animals. And this was his special moment. So even though it was my service dog and I brought him everywhere for this particular time, I said, I'm not going to bring my dog this time to Texas, because I'm going to make it all about my son. 
So there's no shame in saying dog or cat, whatever, you're going to stay home. I'm going to go have a one-on-one, very focused and present time with my grandson, grandchild. Mm-hmm. And the next time you go to the dog beach, you go to the dog park and you make it about the dog. You know, we're at a different time and place now where animals and the rights that they have and what we should expect from them as parts of their of our families, there's much greater sensitivity about that than than used to be. I grew up the son of a veterinarian, so I've been around pets ever since I was tiny, and it is different now with, mm-hmm. with house pets than it used to be. And so the sensibilities that you bring to this and the things that you've talked about, very timely, very helpful. Well, thank you. Um, I really enjoyed this discussion and the questions that you came up with. So thank you so much for having me. This was really, really fun. That was Ellie Lax, founder of The Gentle Barn. There are nearly 200 animals that are safe and happy at The Gentle Barn, and there is plenty of room to welcome their visitors and the children they host. Based in California, The Gentle Barn has a second location in Nashville, Tennessee, and a third in St. Louis, Missouri. Since its inception, The Gentle Barn has saved thousands of animals and been host to over 900,000 people. That was amazing, don't you think? Yeah, it, there were so many surprises for me to, you know, in learning about her organization, but you know, we did stay sort of focused on the the topic of how you manage animals and she deals with them more like people than anyone I've ever spoken to. Yeah, oh, I feel so those those pets are pretty lucky. They're getting acupuncture and massage and all sorts of stuff. I love that. I understand that. I would understand I would love it if I were a pet. <laughs> how how nice to be treated so well. Yeah. Okay. So now let's go back to the uh, to the pet elephant in the room <laughs> that was in the middle of that conversation. Don't tell a pet what you don't want them to do. Uh, or or a man. Exactly. I mean, I have learned that over the years that we've been married now, what, 41 years? If I ask you to go get something at the grocery store, if I say, don't get this kind or don't get that. Sometimes you'll end up getting just exactly that. Exactly. <laughs> I don't understand it, but it seems to work that way. I don't know that I can explain it, but (laughs) I I think listening to the emphasis and sometimes your emphasis is don't do this or don't. (laughs) So it makes more of an impression with me. Okay. I guess that's the same with dogs. That makes sense, right? Well, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Now you could debate all day long just how much of the English language a dog understands, but I do know that they read emotions, generally Mm -hmm. speaking, really well. Yeah. And so, you know, whether they are understanding the English words, if your intention is clear in the way that you're communicating, that's got to get you something. And, you know, you, you, you may disagree with her about just how much they understand, but they understand plenty. So it just don't say that to them. <laughs> don't say don't because they, they, maybe they just get nervous and then all they can think of is that don't. Maybe that's what happens with you. <laughs> well. You get nervous. Yeah. Like, I'm going to do the wrong thing. What did she say? She was emphasizing don't something, so. Well, the good news is that I don't think you'll ever have to worry about me leaving a mark on the carpet when I get scared when you tell me that. (laughs) Talk to me again when I'm 90 or so, but still. (laughs) Hope not. But yeah, no, it was fun to talk with her. I, I have a good friend who's been on this podcast way, way back at the very beginning. And I just have to little shout out to Mickey because she loves this kind of thing. The Gentle Barn is her Bailiwick. She loves it. And she especially loves pigs. 
So this is so fun for me to uh, share this podcast with her and put a little shout out to her. I miss her a lot. Can I put in my application for a tummy scratch? A tummy scratch. Oh, there you go. I'd rather have a massage and acupuncture. I'm not sure you can do that. I'll, uh, wh- I'll, I'll do whatever I can. <laughs> in the meantime, I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And thanks for joining us in Living the Grand Life. Living the Grand Life.